Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast. This is David Smook, and today we're going to do something a little different. Uh, we're going to look back on that time I interviewed John McAfee, who reportedly recently died on June 25th. I interviewed him one year and one month before his reported death, and it was pretty cool. I mean, he was in a Lon- underground London supposedly bunker of some kind, and the lead kind of just funneled my way, and the only condition of taking the interview was that I don't tell him any of the questions before the interview, which uh, I really appreciated as, you know, you interview people that want specific questions, which it's nice to be on the same page, but it's also nice to just say, ah, fuck it, what do you want to talk about? And I think that's one of the cool things about podcasts and in general, and I mean, when we turned on the Zoom call here, <laughs> it doesn't work, and audio is not playing. Ling, my wife and partner, is showing is helping to fix it, and then Janice, his wife and partner, is helping to fix it, and then we end up, you know, creating a new Zoom call, and then I open up the thing, and I just see his lips moving, and I don't hear his audio, and I'm feeling a little like, ah, what's going on? I'm supposed to just interview. And then he was just fucking with me. And then he started talking. He was just moving his lips. And anyway, this is the rest of that conversation with John McAfee. I hope you enjoy. Very boring toward the end. Yeah, the best is the beginning. Uh, This is the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm David Smook. And today we have an internet legend with us, presidential candidate, software innovator, all that jazz. Uh, John McAfee, uh, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, David and uh, and Lynn. I'm, I'm no longer a presidential candidate. Two year, two weeks ago, I I lost the uh, Libertarian primaries, which I had fully expected. So, well, once you're continue. once you have done it, you always are it. <laughs> so, uh, what's your current job then? God, I wish I knew, Dave. I really do. I mean, you'll have to ask Janice, who is my boss. Uh, I have no fucking clue what my job is. I, I do basically what I'm told. So you just wake up every day and Janice tells you what's up? Janice tells me what's the fuck up. Yes, I, that's what, Listen, uh, Dave, if, if, if Lynn does not tell you the same, you simply have not been married long enough. Uh, what can I tell you? Oh, no, she runs this house, for sure. <laughs> I, I just show up. Here I am, you know. <laughs> Me too. I, I just show up. I'm, I'm here. Jan, literally, Janice is my scheduler. What? What? She's about to hit me or something. You had tissue stuck to your finger. What? You had tissue on your finger. It's okay. She said I had tissue on my finger. That's how <laughs> that's how detailed this woman controls my fucking life. She going she going back. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had tissue on my finger. My apologies, those of you who saw tissue <laughs> on my fingers. All right. Hey, so uh, you grew up in Virginia in the fifties, is that right? Yes, I, yes, I did actually, Virginia. And, um, Norton, the um, Appalachians, the poorest part of America. And uh, if you were to look back at like 
if you were to describe the Black Lives Movement today to like yourself as a teenager, how how do you think you'd react? Well, that's a very heavy question, Dave. That there was no Black Lives Movement, of course, in in the 1950s, and I regret that I grew up in an age where we're blacks. My, my wife, by the way, is as well, she looks extraordinarily black, and she claims to be black. Um, <laughs> but I grew up in an age where blacks had no rights. I, I'm sorry to say that, but it is absolutely true. I'm sorry, the 1950s. Uh, and, and, and white people did not have any concept that they were either privileged or superior or whatever whites may have thought in the 1950s. So I'm really (laughs) the wrong person to ask other than that (laughs) I have um, I have lived with multiple black women and then have married one and have been married for almost what, nine years? By the way, all of you gentlemen out there, you think you want to get married? Uh, <laughs> well, Watch well, uh, if you marry a black woman. Watch it. Huh? Watch uh, it. Hang on, I'm telling the truth, baby. <laughs> if you want to marry a black woman, you had better fucking have balls the size of goddamn watermelons, because otherwise, <laughs> you... you you will end up uh, being uh, the true slave. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying. Well, it's, you know, where we come from shapes the way we see the world, uh, you know, so I wanted to just touch a little bit on that, but. Uh, does it, does it really, Dave, does it really, does where we come from shape the way we see the world or does our totality of experiences uh, yeah. Up to this present moment. But the setting is always part of the experience. So the setting, uh, you know, in any story, in anything like that, the setting, it doesn't make you who you are, but it will force a reaction. And it's just, you can't write a story without a setting. You know, then you don't have a story. <laughs> Janice, this motherfucker is too goddamn smart for me to be talking to mm-hmm. here. Do not schedule me with this mofo again. I'm sorry. Yes, well, um, you're absolutely correct, Dave. <laughs> Uh, the uh, uh, setting, the setting does in fact, uh, uh, it, it does not um, control or, or um, predict the outcome of the experience, but fuck me, yes, it does in fact influence it. But there's more, there's more than setting. I mean, let me tell you about goddamn setting uh, for the past year. Janice and I, oh, first of all, we, we escaped the United States on the 17th of January last year uh, because I found out on the 22nd of January the IRS was going to convene a grand jury <laughs> uh, to charge both of us with tax fraud. Now, I have, whoa, are you drinking beer? Uh, no, it's matter. actually a kombucha. It's, it's what? Kombucha. 
Yeah, so you say. I know people <laughs> put beer or vodka in kombucha bottles, but yeah, I'll accept that. Anyway, so we found out about it. We left on our yacht on the 17th of January for the Bahamas. Now I knew the United States would come after us, which they fucking did. In March, uh, no, in April, we escaped uh, from the Bahamas just a few hours before the IRS uh, and the guys of the CIA <laughs> uh, were, were to collect us. We went to um, Cuba. We were there for two months, and the Cuban government pulled both Janice in. Janice is right here with me now. Pulled us both in and said, um, listen, uh, the United States have demanded, has demanded that we return you to America. Uh, and, and it was a Cuban general. We were at an army base. The Cuban general said, however, we were disinclined to do so. So we're giving you 72 hours to leave the country and never return because we're a fucking embarrassment now and a problem. So we did. We left and they came twice a day said, uh, Mr. McAfee, will you be gone in uh, 46 hours? I go, oh, yeah. If I have to fucking swim to Haiti, uh, trust me, I will be gone. So we were, we left with 16 hours to spare, actually, with a big-ass goddamn boat, a staff of eight, four fucking big dogs, and Janice and I, <laughs> and a captain. Uh, it was no small task. We spent four and a half days at sea. I pulled into the Dominican Republic and were arrested before we could leave the boat. And what did they say? I'm sorry, Mr. McAfee, but you must uh, return to the United, <laughs> the United States. <laughs> uh, I've been arrested uh, 21 times in 11 different countries. So this is not <laughs> nothing new uh, for me. So I managed to, to acquire two Dominican Republic lawyers who managed after four days of Janice and I being in jail uh, to get us freedom to leave to England, which we did. Did you, did you get to stay in the same cell? Fuck no, please God. I'm sorry, but husband and wife, listen, I've been arrested 21 times. I never experienced a situation where husband and wife get, no, no, uh, we did not uh, get the same, same cell. And in fact, Janice was, um, well, put out, <laughs> uh, to say the least. In any case, so after four days, we... We, we win the right to go to England, which is what I asked for to the very fucking beginning. I want to go to England. I've got a British passport. I'm a British citizen. Send me home. Anyway, so that's what we did. On the way, I said, I talked to Janice very seriously. Baby, we cannot fucking run forever. We have to go underground, which we did. So we got to London. We've been underground since July, what, 19th? of 2019, almost a whole fucking year. Wow. I don't know why. Did you ask a question about that? Probably not. <laughs> I'm an old, I'm 74, okay? <laughs> Listen, old men have the uh, the right, if, if not the obligation, to ramble. Therefore, Are you still um, doing math and writing code? 
I'm fucking, I haven't written code in 50 fucking years, dude. I mean, no, of course not. Although, listen, I, I am still the best uh, coder on this fucking planet. I'm just saying. So we're at a really early age. Were you really good at math? Oh, fuck yeah. That's the only thing I watch good at. Listen, I, when I went to, went to college at the age of 18, at Roanoke College, same in Virginia, I wanted to major in physics. And then after one fucking semester, I figured out, you know what? I have to learn more math to get a fucking physics degree than I have to learn to get a math degree. So I go, oh, fuck that shit. Uh, so I switched uh, to math. Uh, of course, graduated with honors. I, I don't know why. But even, even before college, when did you realize you were really good at math? I don't know, third grade. I never had to study math. It's one of the things. I'm, I'm a lazy motherfucker. I am. And math always came easy to me. And, and therefore, that's, that's what I did. <laughs> and and if, if those people do not understand digital science. Digi computers and software, it's just fucking mathematics. That's all it is, people. It just happens to be a mathematics based on a binary system than a decimal system. It's all the same fucking thing. And, and binary systems are fucking fantastic because you have mathematics you can't do on a digital system like Boolean algebra and or exclusive or fuck me, the most powerful um, processes in all the world of mathematics. So no, I, so digital digital computing looks like uh, fuck me. Is this easy? But programming is nothing more than mathematics. People only in a binary system rather than a decimal system. So uh, after college, uh, you got a job at NASA. How did how did that come about? Well, my first job was not at NASA. My first job after college, really, my first job was at <laughs> General Electric. That's where I first learned programming on the General Electric uh, GPAC 4020, which was the world's first process automation computer. Now, what's process automation? Well, <laughs> it's uh, the most complex application of computer science ever fucking invented. It, I was assigned to the, the automation of Australia iron and steel's rolling mill in Port Kembla, New South Wales, Australia. What's a rolling mill? Well, it's one of the things that prior to computers was a fucking art. Because what's a rolling mill? So steel comes in there, the whole bunch of rolling mills. There's the repeat roller where it goes one way, then another way, then another. Then there's a, a system of 15 rollers. So what happens? You've got uh, white hot steel coming right out and it's coming in slabs that are maybe, I don't know, 12 inches thick. So it comes between these rollers, which has a pressure that you can't possibly fucking imagine. I mean, that would take a, a dime or a half dollar and convert it into something smaller than a sheet of paper in terms of width, powerful fucking pressure. So it comes to these rollers, 
comes in at maybe three miles per hour, goes to the first roll. It's compressed, comes out slightly thinner, comes out slightly faster. I mean, come on, let's face it, people. You put the same volume in <laughs> at a certain volume, at a certain speed, and if the volume is less, it's got to come out faster. So at the very end of this 15 roller process, the steel, which comes in at two miles an hour, is coming out at 80 miles per hour. Now, so they have these things called flying shears, because otherwise you'd have utter fucking chaos. And by the, by the time it comes out of the last hole, it's no longer red hot. I'm no longer white hot. It's red hot. It's so fucking hot. So it's coming out at 80 miles an hour, and these shears are flying at what speed? 80 fucking miles per hour. And they cut these things in sheets that are 12 feet long. Now, up until automation, human fucking beings, if you can imagine this, like, Jesus fucking God, <laughs> if you want to know what the human is capable of. <laughs> and by the way, it was those hired most highly paid uh, worker, low-level job in the world. And these these Because of the amount people, of danger and, they, and risk they were taking on? Pardon? Because of the amount of danger and risk they're taking on? No, 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 no. They think, oh, wow. The risk was, <laughs> the risk was <laughs> cutting the shears at the wrong place or because these people had to manage the pressure of the rolls constantly to get the right speed, the right everything. No, the, the risk was you would destroy or break a set of rolls, which was a half a million dollars, which, which costs you your job. No, 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 there's no personal risk. I mean, fuck me, you're up in you're four stories above the rolling mill. Why? Because the mill itself, when the temperature is too, Hundred degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, no, no, nobody survives to that. No, so you're three stories above this. No, no personal risk. The risk is your job. You break a roll, they fire you. Sorry, yes. So no. And so, did you at this point? Did you always know you wanted to, you know, do your own thing? And was were you thinking like? Of course, I'm I'd always done my own thing ever since I was twelve years old, dude. When I was twelve. Uh, I borrowed my, my father's lawnmower and used to mow every fucking yard in the neighborhood. Why? Who the fuck likes to mow yards? Nobody. Nobody. So I'd knock on doors, uh, Mr. Jones, uh, would you like your yard mowed for $1.75? Oh, fuck it. Everybody said yes. Well, it only cost me 25 cents in gas. <laughs> so I made a fucking fortune. No, this is in 1958. I'm 13 years old. No, 1957, 12 years old. And when that, that first time, you know, making money, did you get the yeah. thrill and the satisfaction of like, fuck it? This is what it. What greater thrill is there than, than having money in your goddamn pocket and all of your friends uh, are working on 50 cents a week allowance? Huh? No, but trust me, power instant power. In the wintertime, what I do, I take a snow shovel, knock on the resort. Would you like your sidewalk shovel? Who the fuck wants to shovel the sidewalk after a large snowfall? Nobody. So seriously, I was the richest dude in the entire fucking town by the time I was 13. When I was 14, 
I own four paper routes. Paper routes. Nobody has it. I don't think they have paper boys anymore. <laughs> um, but back then, it was it was an entrepreneurial job. You bought the newspapers from the newspaper company. If you, you were if you were fourteen today, you know, looking around and seeing what the internet is and seeing how that works, would you think you would already, you know, have an online business? Yeah, I, I, actually, I'd be promoting Vanguard prostitutes if I was fourteen today. Seriously, I'm serious. I mean, no, I would I would make so much fucking money. But that's beside the point. So anyway, I had paper routes by the time I was 14. So no, by the time I was 16, I had more money in the bank than my goddamn parents. By the time I was 18, after having a bunch of other entrepreneurial jobs, I had close to $100,000, which is 1960, people, 1963, actually. That, that $100,000 is $3 million in today's money. I mean, I was the god of Southwest Virginia at 18. And I've been that ever since. Why? I don't want, I don't want to work for anybody. Why the fuck? Now, I'll definitely work for NASA. Why? God damn it, I'll learn some shit. I'll work yep. for Lockheed, which I did. I'll learn some shit. So I, I read that you um, wrote the first version of the antivirus software in a day and a half. Is that I true? I did, yes. And I what did, did it, what, what did, what was the initial function? What did it do? Okay, so now here's what happened. But by the way, if you think that people get success from writing a business plan, having an idea, no, people flake the fuck up. Why do people go to Harvard Business School or Stanford Business School? I used to teach once a month at Stanford Business School. Why? Because I was a successful entrepreneur. I know what the fuck that is. No, you go to Stanford Business School, you pay a goddamn fortune so that you get a job with IBM or Microsoft or Samsung or somebody for a shitload of money. But you ain't no goddamn entrepreneur. What's an entrepreneur? An entrepreneur is someone with no goddamn plan and he's sitting there just minding his own fucking business and an opportunity comes by his nose, which happens 10 times a day for every human on this planet. And you have the balls to say, okay, if I grab this opportunity, I will risk losing my job, my wife, my house, my neighbors, my friends, everything, which I did and everybody does. Uh, are you willing to do that? If not, you're not an entrepreneur and stop making plans because you will never get a goddamn dime. No money comes to you without risk. And what is the risk? Everything. Everything you've ever known, everything you've ever loved, everything you've ever wanted, and everything that you currently fucking have. Your house, your car, your kids, your wife. I lost everything. Everything, starting McAfee. Why? Because I thought that was the thing to do. So now, how that how did McAfee happen? Like every fucking successful business, including Microsoft. I know Bill Gates. I, I met Bill Gates shortly after Microsoft became a thing. Nobody has a fucking plan, people. Nobody has an idea. You know what ideas are worth? Jack fucking shit. We all have ideas. 10, 20, 30 a day. Everybody on this planet. Nothing. 
what's worth something? Opportunity. So what was mine? Well, I'm sitting on a Sunday morning watching television. I don't remember what I was watching. My worthless fucking brother-in-law, Rich, uh, my wife's brother, who never had a goddamn job and had been living with us for a fucking year as a parasite on my hard work working at Lockheed on a black program. I was making more money than God. Do you understand that on this black program? What's a black program? It's a program that does not exist. I was working at Lockheed as a defense contractor. Black programs are those super, super, super fucking secret things that don't exist. Now, in order to get on one, you got to have a top secret clearance. So my boss came to me after working at Lockheed and said, um, you've been tapped for a black program. Uh, you're scheduling you for your... <laughs> clearance <laughs> next week. Now, what's that mean? You spend an entire fucking day, and the NSA asks you things like, asks me things like, have you ever fucked a goat? Yeah, not that I can remember. I bought about a chicken. Not that I can remember. Have you ever cheated on your wife? Yes. How many times? Well, fuck me as often as I could. Uh, have you ever taken drugs? Yes. Which drugs? I mean, every drug I'm aware of. Have you ever sold drugs? Yes. Which drugs? Uh, every drug I'm aware of. Why did you do that? Well, there's a shitload of money in it, assholes. That's what, anyway. So, an entire day, plus, plus they put electrodes on you. <laughs> they, <laughs> They ask you, I mean, whatever. So now, so I go back at the end of the day and I tell my boss to say, listen, <laughs> my security clearance is not coming. <laughs> One week later, I get a top secret security clearance. Why? Fuck me, I don't know. I, I guess it's because the people go, you know what? The Russians are not going to be able to <laughs> say, we know this about you because the motherfucker doesn't care. Man. I don't know. For whatever reason, I got it. So anyway, I was making more money than God. Doing what? Every Monday morning, they flew me to another state for working for the Air Force. Oh, fuck me. No, I can say that. I hope. Working for the Air Force on a program I can't possibly tell you about. And then every every Friday afternoon, sending me back to San Jose, which where I lived in Santa Clara in Silicon Valley. I can't tell you how much I was making more money than God. I mean, I had cars, I had motors, motorcycles, cars, every fucking thing. And on a Sunday morning, my brother-in-law, Rich, that motherfucker who's never had a job, was reading the San Jose Mercury News, and it says, whoa, look at this. There's this thing called a computer virus. They just discovered it. I go, what? Give me the fucking paper. So I read the paper. It was about this thing called the Pakistani brain computer virus. Why was it called that? Because that was what was written inside the code that was taking control of computers throughout Europe. I go, fuck me. So I read the article. 
Monday morning at uh, 7 a.m., I called a friend of mine at Stanford because I taught at Stanford University once a month to the graduate school, uh, business school. I said, give me a copy. They had a copy. That afternoon, I went to Stanford, got a floppy disk. You know what a floppy disk is? Well, fuck you, you I don't care. Got a floppy disk, uh, came back with the virus, took it apart, and it was the world's first artificial intelligence, people. What is a virus? Well, it's a, it's a piece of code that tries to do three things. Hide, survive, and propagate. End of story. Well, also do damage. But many of them didn't do much damage. But So I'm going, fuck me. I wanted to hire those motherfuckers and start a company. There were two brothers in Lahore, Pakistan, that had a computer repair shop that created this thing. Well, fuck me. Anyway, so as I was looking at the code and understanding what it was, I thought, well, fuck, this is so easy to fix. So I wrote a little program. It took me less than two days. Put it up on my bulletin board called Home Base. The world's, at that time, certainly Silicon Valley's largest bulletin board system. I had 32 phone lines coming in. We didn't have the internet back then, folks, so you couldn't just send a message to Russia. Uh, what happened is, you know, all of your thousands of users on the bulletin board downloaded the good shit and then uploaded it to other bulletin boards where it was downloaded and uploaded. Now, Within a month, I had 5 million users. Within four months, I had $30 million in the bank. And then within- And were you even incorporated? Did you corporate? No, fuck no, nothing, nothing. You, you, know, you don't yourself? plan this shit, people. You can't plan success. Not fucking possible. Not possible. No. What you do is immediately, I quit Lockheed. I quit the juiciest, most incredible job any technology could ever fucking have. A goddamn black program with the U.S. government? Do it so I could do whatever I fucking wanted and make ten times what any other technologist could ever fucking make. And I quit that immediately. I lost my wife, my house, everything. Because I... I realized that this was an opportunity. I quit Lockheed instantly. I didn't even give notice. My boss said, what? Are you crazy? Come in and talk to me. I said, no, I'm not coming in. I quit. I'm sorry. I'm not coming in. And, and you have to do that. I'm not talking to you anymore. My world has changed. My wife, who had a job <laughs> As a flight attendant, just walked out. I lost everything, everything. But three months later, I I was a multimillionaire. And this is what success is. You can't plan success, people. That's idiocy. You have to smell the opportunity wafting past your nose. And you have to be willing to risk your job your wife, your house, your kids, everything you've ever fucking loved. And if you're not, <laughs> stay where you are. 
So let's talk about another boom and opportunity. Uh, you know, this we, are, and we have time for one more question. I have, an, I have another <laughs> interview uh, oh, coming yeah, sure. up in, in three minutes. My apologies. Um, I guess if I had a last question for you, I'd say, um, what is the scariest thing about the internet right now? And if you controlled the whole internet, uh, what would you change? I, I don't know. The second half, I'll tell you what the scariest thing is, is that you got no privacy people. None. If you think that antivirus software or security software is protecting you, or that encryption is protecting you, it's not. It's not. It's not. I mean, encryption was designed 30 years ago to protect from a thing called man in the middle attack. What does that mean? I'm communicating with someone in Australia and there's someone listening. There's no man in the middle anymore. Please, fucking God, do you understand that our smartphones and our computers and our pads and our laptops are designed for one thing, to find out exactly what the fuck you are doing, where and when. There's no man in the middle. You, in your fucking system, have the software that's watching what you type into your secure software that's going to be encrypted and sent. And on the other end, you have software that's watching because you can't read encrypted communication. It has to be decrypted and displayed on your fucking screen. And they're reading what's displayed on your screen, people. And they're watching what you type in. Encryption is the most worthless piece of shit today. And people actually pay for it. What the fuck is wrong with you people? And I'm really sorry, but <laughs> I must go. Thanks, John. I enjoyed the time. All right.